Alright, you white motherfuckers. All eyes on me. This is the Average Years Podcast. Ew. Welcome to the Average Years Podcast. This is I, Mr. Fox. Bringing it to you hot, fresh, and ready. Another episode for y'all's black asses. If this is your first time at the IRFUSE Podcast, welcome. You are now in the throes of season five. Five fucking seasons. Happy Black History Month to everybody out there here at the IRFUSE Podcast during Black History Month every year. We make it a point to celebrate and root for everybody black. If you are returning to the IFUs podcast, thank you for coming back. We missed you. Of course, with all things constant, all things relative, so to speak, there's so much we have to talk about this episode. You know, like I always say on every episode, just about, I'm just over here minding my African-American business, just doing what I do, and there's just like a lot of mess we got to talk about the Super Bowl. We got to talk about the Freaknik documentary. We have to talk about students walking out of James Madison High School in Houston, Texas, allegedly over a cell phone ban. We also have to talk about a special legislative session that's about to occur next week out of Louisiana, commandeered by the Governor Jeff Landry. We also have to talk about one of several discussions had on the Bird app around an anonymous post sent to a person over on Facebook regarding house rules, an adult son moving back in with his parents, and the ultimatum given, either you go to church every Sunday or you have to leave so a couple of housekeeping items that we tend to do over here at the IFU's podcast after much controversy pushback and fears that this documentary would never see the light of day (laughs) we finally get a release date for the Freaknik documentary now we first started talking about this sometime last year down on the bird app And I was just like, oh boy, oh boy. So for those of you that are not aware, the Freaknik was started out as like a small picnic thing back, I believe, in the late 80s. At some point, two black women decided to produce, you know, carry it and produce it into something a little bit bigger, which then attracted a lot of uh, attention from some hip-hop heads, and once, you know, they got performances by Uncle Luke and the 2 Live crew and everything, it went left real fast down in Atlanta. So much so that they tried to move it to, I believe, north or west of Atlanta, and it kind of fizzled out. But for a time, the Freaknik was a very chaotic time where there were sexual assaults, there were rapes, there were there was a lot of violence against women, there were 
a lot of um, crimes being committed to the point that the police and the state and the city had to get involved and do crowd control, set up roadblocks, which led to more complications when emergencies arose and medical professionals couldn't. Anyway, Freaknik documentary is coming to Hulu on March the 21st. And my first question to all of you out there, whose parents are we going to see in this Freaknik documentary? You know, when we first started talking about the Freaknik documentary possibly coming on the horizon, there was a lot of controversy and pushback by women, (laughs) well-known, successful women, black women of power, um, like judges and doctors and dentists and lawyers, who essentially told on themselves, letting the world know that they were looking to get this blocked and pretty much just telling themselves that they were paranoid that they were going to be in it. And, you know, they were freaking and hoeing and who knows what else they probably did. And they were afraid that this was going to pop up in the documentary. Knowing Hulu, they'll probably sanitize a lot of the material. If anything, they're going to do it like interview style, like you see so many other documentaries. I'm sure they'll loop in the creators of the Freaknik, you know, the two black women that took it from something in the park, like a picnic type of thing, into the force that it was, that it came to in the 90s. And they're probably going to reconnect with some of the major Atlanta political and social players at that time that either were behind the scenes or were in office or had a seat at that time that lived through that and the pushback and the controversy and the crimes and the dark cloud that remained over Freaknik. I don't think they're going to be like, you know what? We're going to put in this documentary all this footage. We're going to put all this uh, salacious footage because Freaknik like once they had the Uncle Luke and the two live crew element, you know, they already, they wanted to commercialize it at that point, right? So those of us that know those names know what kind of crowd that they bring. And that's essentially what happened. I mean, it already outgrown its initial purpose as far as audience size. But once you bring large names, you have to be a little bit more careful. Um, Uncle Luke, Two Live Crew, of course, music legends. But you got to remember, this is before social media. And there's a certain kind of 
non-consensual element implied or perceived in their music. And when you think of there not being any social media at the time, the violations that were made upon black women by black men and how it goes from being an event to attract and support and revere young black people going to HBCUs and then it taking a turn into something violent, non-consensual, um, criminal. And dare I say a lot of this stuff was probably caught on videotape. So I'm curious to see what this Hulu documentary will do. Um, is it going to be a movie? Is it going to be like multiple episodes, kind of like the 1619 Project? What's it going to do? I'm going to watch it, of course. Because, you know, I grew up in the 90s and I vaguely remember the Freak Nick. Um, and is it going to be like the kind of production where there's like a dark, like a darkness to it? Because you got to think, you know, before Fire Festival, before Coachella, I think even before, or probably at the same time as Magic City, Freaknik had, it not had that dark turn, probably could have lasted for another five or ten years and could have been something very formidable for black people, by black people, you know, when you think about it, we don't have that kind of stuff now. You know, everything is produced and directed and put together by white people. And everything is so commercialized. You know, I think the closest thing we probably have is um, Essence Festival or the, um, what's that, uh, What's that shit that had like 500 names on it? Anyway. Freaking documentary coming out on March 21st. Switching gears a little bit. You know, the Super Bowl was last night. I didn't intend on watching the whole thing. I was... Just like the rest of y'all. In it for Usher. Usher's halftime show. Wasn't really rooting for one particular team over the other. I was just like, okay. I, I guess I can sit through the first two quarters. Let's get to Usher. Usher's halftime show. 15 minutes on the dot. It... it Felt like it was last time it was so much going on. So, going into it, I was like, okay, what's the set list going to give? Is he going to start off with Daddy's Home? Is he going to start off with OMG? Is this going to be a set dedicated more to his oomph music 
and less of his R&B stuff. Now it's like, you know, this is the biggest corporate event. We're probably not going to get a lot of R&B. But there I was surprised. Most of his 15-minute set was more of his 8701 Confessions here I stand. Like, that was the bulk of it. He didn't touch on a whole lot of Raymond versus Raymond or Looking for Myself or even his later stuff. I don't even think he did any of his new songs. But he did kind of like throw in like a couple of blends. You know, he started off with Caught Up. Which is unexpected because I was like, why not do Bad Girl first? So he did Caught Up, You Don't Have to Call, You Got It Bad, Love in This Club. He did Yeah, he did OMG for a little bit. He, what else did he do? He did Confessions, which (laughs) gagged me because it's like, you did an Infidelity Jam at the Super Bowl? I hollered. He did um, a few more songs. Of course, you know, he did uh, My Boo with Alicia Keys. Okay. So, Usher's halftime performance. Awesome. The set list was good. The costume changes were great. The blue and black glittery outfit was awesome. He even managed to do, not only did he manage to do a few costume changes throughout the the set, but he also did a set with the roller skates to OMG nonetheless, which is not easy to do because OMG is a dance song. And knowing my, my black ass, a couple years younger than Usher, I couldn't, I wouldn't be able to pull roller skating and roller skates let alone dancing the way that he does in roller skates so Usher's performance I'm going to give it a 9 out of 10 here is where here are the couple of things that threw me off right okay it was it was ballad heavy which I was like Okay, this is kind of, this is different. And, you know, Usher, I would say, his overall catalog, he, he, I would say more of his hits are mid-tempo ballad. Like, he doesn't have a lot of, yeah, high-energy, OMG, high-energy level hits. So I kind of get it. I was curious how he was going to weave in his Alicia Keys duet. So, it starts to happen. Now, the presentation, you know, Alicia Keys, the red curtain thing, 
the red piano, the red staging, the red outfit. Beautiful. You know, the segue into her, her part, awesome. By Alicia Keys. Baby, what was that first note? Like, we know that's you actually playing behind the piano. So, you're not just waking up. But, baby, what was that first note? I was like, okay. All right, maybe she was just in shock, right? Like, she can't believe that she's here. She can't believe she's here. She can't believe she's here with Usher. She can't believe she's at the Super Bowl halftime show. It, it's just probably just nerves, right? I was like, okay. I can look past that for a little bit. You know, then she comes out of the cape or whatever. And I was like, oh, not only is she coming out from behind the keyboard, she she's looking right. Like Alicia Keys, I know she, I've always known her to have somebody right but i haven't seen alicia keys performing like performing performing since i went to go see her at the element on her element of freedom tour that was years ago but she was good this outfit that she had on good so i'm like okay she started off with if i ain't got you for a little bit it's one of my favorite songs of hers I was like, okay, that first note, we're, we're starting to get past that because we love if I ain't got you, right? And then they go into my boo. And she hits a couple more flat notes. And I'm like, okay. I find myself like, okay, I can get past her, her live performances. Now, let me be clear. It's not that she can't sing. It's that she's trying to sing out of her range. She keeps convincing herself vocally that she is a soprano when she is clearly an alto, a contralto at best. So for her, you know, when it comes to these live performances... Now, the the glaring example is the performance of Simeon Angel at Whitney Houston's funeral. I'm like, you don't have to shout or screech. Because what happens is you have it in your head that you're a torch girl and you're not. But the outfit was cute. And like I said, like the first note, I was like, okay, maybe it's just me. And I was like, you know, when they first announced that she would be on the stage with him to do their duet, I was like, oh, God. When Mabu first came out, I was just not on the train with the song like everybody else. But I get what they were trying to do. Really trying to push the Confessions album in the stratosphere. But by that point, you really didn't need to. Like after Burn came out, it was already it was over. Um, like by that point he was selling like a million records a week. 
so she she did all right. She didn't really add anything extra to it. She didn't necessarily take away any anything from from Usher's performance or halftime show. It was cute. So when they moved on and you know they got to yeah, I was like, okay. This will be the last song. So far, so good. Can't really complain. Luda came out. Um, you know, they already did OMG, so Will I Am was on stage with his Voltron helmet. But Jermaine Dupree. Jermaine Dupree. I would like to know why a man at your age. And your height. You could have picked any outfit. You are a man of considerable talent and wealth and, you know, connections. Did you style yourself? You know, this Baby Gap all-black short set with these um, bobby socks... You know, the socks that Big Mama would always get for the grandkids, you know, the the babies, to wear with their Sunday clothes. You know, the the bobby socks with, like, the, the lacy, frilly tops to them. The socks the kids will wear to put in those, um, those hard back plastic rubbery shoes with the um, the strap and the buckle on the, on the side of the shoe that you had to wear all day on Sundays to the point that there were pressure marks in your feet after you took your socks off Jermaine Dupree had on bobby socks with a baby gap all black sunday best muslim bean pie selling on the baltimore city median short set and jermaine dupree is i want to say under five foot five Everybody else is decked out in some kind of futuristic outfit. Usher, Ludacris, well, I am up there looking like Blade Runner. Usher's dancers, Usher's band, Usher's background singers, even people in the field. But one Jermaine Dupree had on a basic black baby gap short set and I don't know if they were bobos or if they were pants that shrunk in the dryer high waters you can see part of his leg above the ankle the rest were the the bobby socks and these Sunday best kitty shoes. 
What the actual fuck? Jermaine Dupri. I think that was my only takeaway. So, before we move on to our, our other stuff, the... The biggest gag, because, you know, the the Skybox had like $6 billion of net worth in it, right? You know, at some point during the game, you know, you would get camera shots of who was in the Skybox. And, you know, of course, Taylor Swift was up there with her, her bestie, Ice Spice, which kind of still throws me off. Beyonce and Jay-Z were up there, um, and some other people. Before Usher even left the stage, you know, there were Super Bowl commercials, um, you know, the T-Mobile commercial with Arnold Schwarzenegger is funny, a T-Mobile commercial with Zach Braff, Donald Faison, and Jason Momoa was funny, um, although it would have made more sense at the conclusion of them performing Flashdance, that the water was hitting Jason Momoa's half-naked body, not his clothes, just my two cents. But one of the Super Bowl commercials was Beyonce. And it's Beyonce and this white guy where after each performance or something that she's trying to like break the internet, you know, Beyonce running for Beyonce, the United States doesn't break the internet. Um, a performance by Beyonce doesn't break the internet. Beyonce going into space doesn't break the internet. Um, so all these different things about this commercial that she's trying to do and he's telling her now it doesn't break the internet. But as the rocket ship that she's in is going past Earth, you hear her shout out, drop the music, and then the T-Mobile sign comes up. When I tell you, when I tell you that Beyonce didn't even wait For the production crew to take down the lighting that was above the halftime stage to dismantle the the equipment, the scaffolding, the beams, the lights and lasers and shit that Usher used to not only drop. The trailer for Act 2. Which is people gathering around while what appears to be one of her new songs playing. Gathering around under a billboard. And a car kind of speeds off down the dusty road. It's a billboard of her as a cowgirl and the words read Texas Hold'em and the song that's playing in the commercial or the trailer is one of the new songs called Texas Hold'em 
Act two is going to be a country album. Act two is coming March the 29th. And Beyonce was like, oh, you know, this is cute. You know, Usher down there playing his little ringtones and his OMGs and stuff. But before you get to that last step, I'm going to click send from title. Drop this trailer. Drop the release date. And drop two new songs. One called 16 Carriages. And the other called Texas Hold'em. And we've listened to both of them. Bitch, I am gagging. Beyonce was like, look. (laughs) I don't need AOTY from the Grammys. I don't even have to be on the field of the Super Bowl. I'm going to use this moment. Let Usher do his little yang, yang, yang around the little halftime stage. And I'm going to not only be part of a Super Bowl commercial... I'm going to use this moment to push new music. Two new songs, another album coming out, a different era, a country era, and y'all are going to love it. And here is is the other gag. This country album that's coming March the 29th is going to gag the Country Music Awards, is going to gag... The Grammys. Because one thing I know about the CMTs and one thing I know about the country music Puritans of the world are that they don't see it for black artists, black country artists, artists that are black that do country music. They don't see it for us in the same level, the same way that they see the white counterparts. Don't think we didn't forget that the CMTs, when Beyonce performed Daddy Lessons with the Chicks, I think they were the the Dixie Chicks at that time, live at the Country Music Awards, that live performance, the, the music and everything was scrubbed from the website as though they didn't perform it at all. So, Beyonce was like, okay, you didn't want to respect my gangster when I dropped Renaissance that carried the world through the pandemic the last couple of years. Okay, we're going to switch it up and do country in act two. And everybody's going to get a history lesson because not only have for generations upon generations have black people played a big part in rock and roll, blues, jazz, R&B, pop, rock. But they've also been the driving force in country music. And Beyonce is going to eat them up next award season. She is going to indefinitely shake the Country Music Awards. She is going to definitely shake the Grammy Awards. And she is going to make those old white men 
the, the same old white people that are behind the Grand Opry, that are behind the Country Music Association, the AMAs, the Grammy Awards, the any country award. They are going to make, she's going to make them so nervous because they they will have no choice but to make room for her next year and more than likely the year after that because when I tell you Texas Hold'em I'm I'm still reeling from that in 16 carriages Beyonce got some goddamn nerve So that's going to be the absolute gag the remainder of this year watching these two songs the new album on March the 29th just eat us all up. And then when the Country Music Awards come around and the the Grammy Awards and the Grand Ole Opry or whatever they do down there and all the nominees in all the categories are going to collectively eat crow. Watching Beyonce go up to the stage, back to back to back to back to back for like two hours. And to know... And here's the other thing that's really tripping me out. Her mother, Miss Tina Knowles, in the same breath that Beyonce dropped these two new songs, took to Instagram and said that we have been jamming out to these songs for years. I'm so glad you guys finally get to enjoy them. Come to find out that up in that house of theirs, that they dance and party and have a good old time to hundreds and hundreds of songs that Beyonce has already recorded over the years. Knowing that, I'm like, this is the richest shit I've ever heard in my life. You gotta remember, there are some songs in Renaissance that she recorded at least five to eight years before the album came out. So could you believe, could you actually believe? Just think about it. Like, none of us will be lucky that she'll call any of us and be like, hey, bitch, you want to come over? You know, we're going to have a little, you know, potluck, a little Friendsgiving, little Uno cards, little, uh, you know, play a little tonk, play some spades. You're at the table. You know, you have the nose card of people's all up and through. Y'all playing spades. Out of nowhere, Beyonce yells out, Hey, Alexa. Play Act 3. And you get, like, the rock and roll album. That isn't even out yet. Mind you, this is 2024 that you're over there at the house. 
just casually playing spades with Beyonce and Jay-Z and Tina and Solange and her son, Daniel, who you can convince me does not look like Joanne the Scammer. Um, and she just casually has Alexa play Act 3. And it's a rock and roll album, like, bitch. Like, what are you doing to me right now? Beyonce's mind will be an exhibit in the Smithsonian 50 years from now. And the next generation is going to absolutely gag when it comes to this woman's mind and her marketing and business savvy. Because at first I was like, why does T-Mobile have all these damn commercials? And you got to remember, you know, to be part of the Super Bowl, I think whether it's a commercial, but especially as like a halftime performer, um, you don't get paid. And if you do, it's not that much. You know, you get your reward on the back end. Like, Usher, Alicia Keys, Beyonce, like all of them will get an uptick in streams on their songs. Um, more so the older stuff. Um, Usher was smart by releasing a new album, which is cute. We've we've played Coming Home. Um, of the 2021 songs, we love about eight or nine um it's very unusual for usher to have a 21 song album but i also understand that this is his first album as an independent artist which we love to see but usher alicia keys and beyonce will benefit greatly just by appearing as part of the Super Bowl. Um, more streams, which means more revenue, more money, renewed interest in music, um, and more touring opportunities. So Beyonce was like, look, we're not just going to stop there. We're actually gearing up <laughs> for y'all asses to have your money and be broke again for this upcoming act. Texas Hold'em and 16 Chariots or 16 Carriages, my bad. Good songs. Very good songs. It's definitely looking like this will be a multi-category nomination sort of thing. Um, I know the Grams is probably never going to see it for her to win one of the one or two of the big four. Well, big three. She's not a new artist. But leave it up to Beyonce, man, to really just put the cherry on top of the Super Bowl. You know, Usher did the damn thing. Give it a, a 9 out of 10, like I said. I love that he performed more of his older stuff. Um, and the uns, uns, uns music was to a lesser degree. 
Um, Alicia Keys, cute outfit. Presentation was lovely. I really want her to remind herself that she is an alto, not a soprano. And you're not a torch girl. But the Super Bowl was cute. The Super Bowl was cute. Good for what it was good for. We we loved it. Had a good time. And we moved on. So, while you've been sleeping, while you've been sleeping, I'm going to switch gears a little bit and talk about something of a scholastic nature. So, down in Texas at James Madison High School, students walked out of the school in droves, and they were saying it was allegedly because of a cell phone ban. After a little cell phone footage circulated of one of the members of the faculty, I believe the principal, was putting one of the students into a headlock during a fight. And of course, some of the students dove on this man to break it up. I saw the footage and I was like, was this film on a potato? Because it was so grainy, it was terrible. But it was circulating that these students were, I guess, boycotting the school by leaving, or you know, leaving the school for a cell, you know, for a man of cell phones. So we we were like, really, this is this is what we're doing, and one of the students who has the IG account, the baby goat. Decided to po- to make a post, and I guess try to clear it up, but she only ended up making it worse. She says something to the effect of, "You know, we as students are not able to keep up with the changes in the environment. Um, there's always." The rules always change. We're overwhelmed by so much work that we have to do, although there is no homework rule. To every day there's a new rule. There is constant change to the superintendent. Mike Mike Miles isn't a good one and is not qualified to be one. So I read it, and it was terribly, terribly long. And it came off to me like this is nothing more than gripes and complaints. And at some point, you know, on the Bird app, there was some more receipts. You know, the the rates, the proficiency rates and the exam pass rates, both are below 10%. The rating of their math, their science, and other scholastic concepts are very, very low. And I'm like, okay, this should be 
the concern. And then, you know, people chiming into the comment section and the against the the cell phone ban oh well what if there's a school shooting and i'm sitting there like okay if somebody's shooting up the school what's the cell phone gonna do like we all saw what happened at uvalde also in texas where even when the the cops and the authorities showed up they didn't respond right away. And you have these other stories of how rabid these students get when their property is being taken away from them. But they don't want to obey the rules, respect authority, and they want to be combative in class, causing an even bigger disruption. And this post that this this student posted, or the response that they made, only solidifies the opinion that this generation, whenever there's an ounce of difficulty in their life, they just throw a tantrum you know the in the past couple of years since schools have opened back up teachers have been maced teachers have been attacked teachers have been fought to the point that they've broken an ankle have teeth broken have teeth popped out of their, their heads, have had that hair pulled out of their scalp, ended up in the hospital, hospitalized, um, knocked unconscious because, you know, the teacher's aide took away somebody's switch. Like all kinds of things, right? And in the same school where the pass rate is below 30%. It's a reflection of a couple of realities that A, I'm sure that this uh, whole cell phone ban thing was part of the discussion during the school board meeting, which is usually open to the public. Which tells me that none of the parents showed up anywhere. Not a school board meeting, not a parent-teacher conference, not any kind of event where parents are in the same room as the principal, as the faculty, as the school administrator, as the superintendent to voice any concerns to yield to any issues and frustrations. Secondly, it tells me that the parents are not involved in parenting their kids, helping them with homework, 
being the support system, making sure they have access to the resources that they need to figure out subject matter, to accomplish the task. Yet and still we have, which is probably why we have these kids out here now that are like, Oh, you know, we're just giving so much work that we have to do. Yeah, you're supposed to do homework. You're supposed to do labs. You're supposed to do quizzes, exams, um, study groups. Anything that's not extra credit, you're required to do. Even if you claim that there's no homework rule, you still have work to do. Yet you want to complain that there's a cell phone ban, if that's the case. You shouldn't be having your phone in class to begin with. Now there's something, there's a disconnect from these kids to discipline, to having a standard of you know you're rewarded for good behavior you get shit taken away from you for bad behavior you know this checks and balance system that keeps kids from being the spoiled entitled pieces of shit that they are something that turns them into adults that are spoiled pieces of shit they feel like they're entitled to something to the point that if they don't get it, oh, they're coming back with a firearm and they're shooting every every place up. It's time to have an actual discussion and acknowledge the fact that these kids are out of control in school. And that it's not the school's responsibility to raise y'all's kids. And how about this? Instead of worrying about a cell phone ban in case of a school shooting, how about you do what they've been telling you to do every year and vote? No, not only vote for the president, but vote for Senate seats, congressional seats, representatives that are against guns. Or else you will face the kind of shit that is about to go down in Louisiana next week, starting next week. So while you were sleeping, and this this segment particularly goes out to those that believe there's no power in voting. Like if you don't vote, if you don't open your mouth, if you don't go out and become 
an active part in your community, things will continue to regress. Back to the Jim Crow era. And I know it's so easy to get caught up in the smokescreen and the charm and, you know, empty promises and pipe dreams that politicians sell so they can get in office and just turn around and disappoint you. But this this particular thing is very, very alarming out of Louisiana. So, Louisiana's current governor, Republican Jeff Landry, will call for a special session focused on tough on crime policies. The goal is to overhaul the state's current criminal justice system, reversing many reforms put in place by his Democratic predecessor. Among the 24 items on Landry's broad agenda includes expanding methods to carry out death row executions, restricting parole eligibility, harsher penalties for carjackings, immunity from liability for law enforcement based upon certain criteria, publicizing juvenile court records, Governor Landry goes on to say, we will defend and uplift our law enforcement officials and deliver true justice to crime victims who have been overlooked for far too long. I am eager to enact real changes that makes Louisiana a safer state for all. The special legislative session is scheduled for February the 19th through the evening of March the 6th. Landry has long vowed to crack down on crime in Louisiana, which has one of the highest homicide rates in the country. Part of his platform with a focus on New Orleans. On the agenda for this session is to reverse a package of criminal justice reform bills passed in 2017 that expanded probation and parole opportunities and reduced sentences, mainly for nonviolent offenders, Most savings from prison population reduction instead paid for programs aimed at keeping exiting inmates from returning to crime. Since the changes, it's said that Louisiana has relinquished the titles as the nation's top jailer, dropping to second highest incarceration rate per capita. The redesign modeled after similar work in other southern states has support across a wider ideological spectrum from Christian conservatives, business leaders, and liberal organizations. What is outlined in the official documentation for the session, Proclamation Number 13 JML 2024 from the Executive Department Office of the Governor, are 24 items pursuant to the authority granted to the Governor by Louisiana Constitution Article 2B, I, Jeff Landry, Governor of the State of Louisiana, hereby call and convene the legislation of Louisiana on to extraordinary session to convene at the state capitol in the city of Baton Rouge, Louisiana, during 17 calendar days, beginning at 1 p.m. on 19th day, February 2024, and ending no later than 6 p.m. the 6th of March, 2024. 
The power to legislate at this session shall be limited under penalty to nullity to the consideration of the following enumerated objects. Number one, to restrict parole eligibility. Number two, to restrict or repeal the earned rate of good time or the diminution of sentence for good behavior and earned compliance credit. Number three, to expand the criteria for which probation and parole may be revoked for technical violations. Number four, to require a unanimous vote of the parole board to grant parole and to increase the powers of the board. Number five, to require electronic access to criminal records and certain records from juvenile delinquency proceedings. Let's go to number eight, to add the crime of illegal use of a weapon or dangerous instrumentalities to the listings of crimes of violence. Number nine, to increase the penalties for the crime of carjacking. Number 11, to lower the age of a person deemed to be a child for the purposes of dispositions and sentencing for the commission of delinquent acts. Lowering the age that we can put kids in jail. Number 12, to expand the list of crimes for which a child may be confined to the custody and care of the Department of Public Safety and Corrections and to remove eligibility of modifications of certain sentences. 13, to grant immunity from liability based on certain criteria for peace officers and public entities that employ or appoint peace officers to give cops more immunity. Number 15, to specify the method of administering the sentence of death to provide for civil and criminal liability and to provide the confidentiality or records relating thereunto. New ways to kill people with the death penalty. Pro-life, right? Number 17, uh, to add limitations and restrictions regarding the filing of post-conviction relief. Number 18, to authorize the carrying of concealed weapons by certain persons without the necessity of obtaining a permit. Number 19, to grant immunity from liability for persons authorized to carry concealed handguns. So for all y'all in New Orleans, Baton Rouge, Shreveport, and all of the surrounding areas who decided to opt out of the Louisiana governor's race and not vote last year, he's giving you his thank you card right here. Calling card, legislature going in session. So at first glance, like many other moments of regression that have played out over previous years, the overturning of Roe versus Wade being the biggest indicator, the idea for conservatives are not expanding workforce opportunities in their states, reduce the care of health care or insurance rates, but to target cities with the smokescreen that they want to make us safe, which after reading these items, the truth is these type of laws don't make us safe. These will only serve to cost us more tax dollars by jailing more people. This only gives the illusion that they are of positive change. You know, given that we continue to have this discussion around institutionalized systemic racism in society, that it rears its ugly head in various examples, one so primary as the prison system, one of several takeaways I have with this news is that Governor Landry's sole goal is to keep these systems alive with the rest of us to foot the bill. As you get deeper into the weeds, you'll notice a timeline, a long-standing history of an overabundant rate of people of color and black people incarcerated over whites. And around that, you realize that the quota rate is tied to government financial endowment. Some of the enumerated items outlined in this document gives implication that by all means necessary, is justifiable and without recourse in a city that's predominantly African-American, towards not only adults, but underage children. 
If there is immunity in place for cops, one can only imagine how much lethal force they could use at will, call an accident, or be flagrant about it with the result being outright acquittal. From the use of excessive force and other human civil rights violations by law enforcement and the criminal justice system against Africans and people of African descent, we have seen in society, particularly post-9-11, a surge of aggressive, hostile, and brutal takeover takedowns of people of color at the hands of police. Otherwise, a certainty of convictions and incarcerations with little to no intervention by the justice system. And if it is, especially in southern states that have a long-standing history of racism and certain death and lethal injected type of sentences and convictions you add you add that flavoring to previous points we've made in this segment in relation to governor landry's session which further expounds or continues alive the tradition of you know, the era of the stop and frisk, you know, other unsolicited, um, unconsented human and civil rights violations, but it's just, you know, it's for the good of the community. It's to keep us all safe. New Orleans is predominantly or solely African-American. And you are aiming to target that specific demographic and that specific city. A city that has not totally rebounded from Hurricane Katrina, has never had a solid trust in the federal government, let alone the state government, and continues to wallow socially, economically, and uh, culturally in cycles of, oh, we're going to progress. Oh, we're on our way to back to the back of the bus we go. As I continue to read into more information about this session, this is just a smokescreen, a um, a bells and whistles kind of bait and switch kind of, oh, you know, this is for the good, but we're actually going to do this and make life hell for black people in New Orleans. And this is what happens when you don't vote. Now, we've said months ago, you know, when we had the Sonny Hostin clip in one of the episodes, the the tipping point, one of several, since this country came together from the 13 colonies, is that 
you are continuing to see a reversal of articles, a reversal or addendums being made to acts and um, judgments, historical judgments that changed the trajectory of history positively for reproductive rights, women, gays, lesbians, people of color, minorities. Just, you know, little but impactful moments in history being reversed by conservative parties. And when is it going to hit more and more people that if you don't vote, it's going to hurt you? Switching gears again. Down on the Bird app, there was an anonymous post shared with us from Facebook sent to one Michael Turner. That says... From Anonymous, I put my son out last week because he couldn't follow my house rules. He's 27, following hard times, so I allowed him to move back in six months before. Six months ago. I have three house rules. No overnight company. If you mess up, you clean up, and you gotta go to church on Sundays. That's it. He grew up going to church every Sunday, so it's him. He missed three weeks back to back, so I addressed him and I told him that he'll go next week. Next week came and he still didn't go to church. After about two months of this, I sat him down and I had a heart-to-heart conversation with him and told him that if he couldn't follow my house rules, he needs to find some place else to stay. We agreed to disagree and he said that he'll be gone by Friday. My husband told me I was wrong because he has to find himself. Bob... I believe if he goes to church, he'll find some direction. By Wednesday, my son was gone. I went from talking to him daily to once a week. Maybe, but he talks to his father daily. Was I wrong for putting him out? I don't think so, because my house, my rules, but I want outside opinion. So, here's my thing. If... If you are living back in your parents' house, rent-free, and the only thing you have to do, that's kind of out the way, is to go to church with them every Sunday. Just go to church. 
what's wrong? You know, do that. You know, it's not like this is something that has been part of your life. Didn't say that she was in your business. It's not like she gives you a curfew. Um, You're not on the hook to work. They let you move back in. A lot of people in the timeline were like, deuces, I mean, if we're going to fall out over this, then I wouldn't have a relationship with you either. And I'm like, okay. I come from a family where we didn't have to go to church all the time. But I've also lived, you know, had to move back home a couple of times. And, you know, my older brother and my older sister by my mom, we've all moved back home at one point or another. I wasn't pressured to do anything. But I know that I need my own space. That's that's just me. But I also know that, like, if you're in your parents' home, it's their rules no matter what age you are. Like, it's the same as if you had somebody move in with you that you're not dating, you're not fucking, and you're helping them out. you'd have a couple of ground rules so they can contribute and help you out. You're 27. You're not paying any bills. You're not employed. You're not going to school. You're not on the hook to contribute in any form or fashion in the house. And all you have to do is go to church on Sundays. I mean, I know it's all subjective. You know, it, it, a person's opinion is a reflection of, I guess, the relationship that they have with their parents. Um, it's weird to me. But that's not the end-all be-all with me and my mom. What do y'all think? So before I get up out of here, I got a couple more things. And then I will catch y'all next week. Just like the last episode we we did last week just end the main episode with some more white people shit and like I always like I always say I'm not always in white people business the shit just comes to me I just ask that they stay out of our business if they're gonna lie on us so Since last week, there was a story that came out 
about two women from Kentucky that went on a cruise. And while vacationing in in the Bahamas, they claimed that they were raped. This is... This is how it went. How it was told to us. These two white women claimed that they went to the beach after the carnival cruise ship that they were on docked at the island. They claimed they were each offered a two-for-one drink by a resort staffer. After they began drinking, they noticed the drinks were stronger than they expected. Less than a few sips into the second drink... They said we knew something was wrong. Something was terribly wrong. It was at this point, me, a couple of my spidey senses went off, right? Because if you knew something was off, why continue to drink? Anyway, the women claim a staffer offered to help them find the best spot to search for seashells to bring back to their children. And that's when they claim they blacked out. One of the women claimed she woke up to one of the men raping her. The resort assisted in helping the women and identifying their attackers. Real Bahamas arrested the two men. One of the accused had only been employed by the resort a week. So here's where some more red flags came up for me, right? Rape kits were not administered at their request. And there were many drugs in their system, including benzos and cocaine. None of which causes a person to black out. Also, there was a a well-known travel advisory issued for Jamaica that everybody knew about, even those of us that weren't on the cruise. And the surveillance footage that was collected does not match their claims. Oh, and they have been pushing a GoFundMe. The other thing that threw me off is if you're on a cruise ship, why are you at the resort? Why are you at a resort in Jamaica? Like when a cruise ship docks, don't you only don't you only have like a small window? To like kind of move around on the island or wherever you're docked. Then get back on the cruise ship. Why did you not get back on the cruise ship where your room is? Why are you at a resort? A lot of people in the comment section were like, this sounds like another story of two women. They got drunk partied up, got carried away, got a little loose in the booty, let a couple of men fuck them, a couple of black men fuck them, and they're trying to cover up their tracks with their men back home. And it's unfortunate, right, because this is not a new flex. Like, when it comes to violence and you know, when it comes to white women actually doing stuff they're not supposed to do or is against the law, they always put it on the shoulders of black people, particularly black men. 
You know, we're not that far removed from Quaker throats. You know, the newlywed female, well, she's a former female cop out of Tennessee who was getting bust down on the clock by, they say, at least five or six men trading pictures and swapping pictures and chatting with them and stuff and getting her back blown out on the clock. Like, ethically wrong, but come on now. Come on. There's more to the story. Seashells on the shore for the kids. Were the kids not at the resort with you? And the reason why I made it part of this episode is because every year white people try to play in our face. And every year they end up with egg on their face. Like I say, this isn't necessarily funny white people shit. This is sad white people shit. Like, something's not adding up. How do we get from the cruise ship to a resort? How do we end up with drinks? And you trying to sell this, uh, oh, we're just, we just, you know, with these people to help us find seashells for the kids. They got beaches in the United States. Come on now. And why would you refuse a rape kit? And... What did you think was going to happen when news broke that you have a GoFundMe set up? What do you need a GoFundMe for? Doesn't take Inspector Gadget. Stevie Wonder and Ray Charles, rest in peace, can see this is some bullshit. Moving right along, a couple of things. The Color Purple, the musical, is finally coming to streaming on the 16th. Going to be checking that out. I recommend you guys go see that when it hits max. Also, if you have Hulu, The Invisible Beauty, the Bethann Hardison documentary about her life, her work as an activist, her legacy as a model turned model agent, to advocating for inclusion on runways. The documentary is finally on Hulu. 
I first heard about this a couple months ago when it was in limited release. We got we watched it last week. Very, very good. Um it follows her her career, her life as a woman out of New York in the fifties and the sixties who was first hired by I believe his name is Willie Brown, a fashion designer who later passed in the late eighties. Uh, hired her to be one of his models. And then, of course, that went on to her making history as one of the first major black runway models. And in the documentary, you have Iman, you have Naomi Campbell, Tracy Ellis Ross, you have um, Fran Lebowitz, you have her son, Kadeem Hardison, that's in it. You know, he's well-known all over from a different world. Um, But you also have, like, key figures from modeling and acting in movies um, speaking very highly of Bethann Hardison, particularly Naomi Campbell and Iman, and I believe Beverly Johnson as well is in it. But also tied in is like archival footage from her career as a model, as a modeling agent, um, her having town halls about inclusion and pushing for it, and having, you know, these conversations and these phone calls with major modeling agency representatives. It's really fascinating documentary, and I employ everybody that's listened to the podcast over the years to watch it. It's called Invisible Beauty. It's on Hulu at the moment. Go check that out. What else do we have? Go listen to Usher's Coming Home album. Um... It's pretty good. Um, what else is going on today? Um, let's see. Final thought before I get up out of here. I know I said I had a couple of things I believe. I don't know who needs to hear this, but it is definitely okay to tell family that the bank is closed. I was having a conversation this weekend with Dr. Tucker. Now, Dr. Tucker has been on the IRFUSE podcast a couple of times, and he'll be back on this season as we further our sexual discourse series. We reconnected over the weekend about, you know, catching up and all this other stuff, and we were the conversation went into helping out folks. Um, One of the folks that he's been helping out is um, an overweight drug addict. 
or an overweight addict of some some kind who's always asking him for money. And I was like, ooh, I could definitely relate to that. Having just come off from a phone conversation a couple days ago, it my mother calls me. And this has been a thing since I left home at 17. Where she will call me off the blue. And the conversation always starts off at an attempt to not interrupt or, you know, small talk and then it gets to what she needs what she really needs and she as long as she's been doing it you would think she's gotten better at it but this the script never changes so she called me i was literally walking to the gym from my car and i always answer well there was a time that i wasn't i just sent it to voicemail i should have did it with this phone call um, now prior to this phone call, the last time I saw her was late January, um, for one of my aunt's birthday parties. And she was asking me, had I got the recliner? She had asked me a couple months ago to get her this recliner because she claims that she has bad, she's has bad circulation in her her legs and her ankles and shit. And the doctor found plaque in one of her arteries or veins in her neck. Now to give you all a little bit of context, over 12 years ago, when I was at work, my sister called me or texted me and said that our mother had fell, and that she's in the hospital. So I left, went down to the hospital. She's on her back in one of the hospital beds with her in a neck brace. She had been drinking the night before, and somehow or another fell on her right side after years of complaining about like numbness and nerve damage and you know which was a result of a fall she had a couple years prior at her job at the supermarket where she claimed she had slipped on some wax paper or something. So, she's at the hospital. They had no choice at that time but to do spinal surgery, which was they removed a couple vertebrae, some some that were pressing, some that were damaged, and replaced them with... Um, plastic implants and rods and stuff, which rendered her unable to walk. 
So she had to do rehab, learn how to walk in, all that stuff. But it essentially um, altered the um, the functionality in like her frame and all that other stuff. So for about uh, a year or two, she had to take injections into her stomach, um, blood thinners, to prevent clotting because she had um, limited ability in, in walking. Um, and after walking or, you know, trying to walk, she would get fatigued a lot. So the, the circulation thing started from that point moving forward. Now, 12 years, right? 12 years, not... She she was walking and stuff, but not like exercising, not being active, you know, doing stuff with her feet, doing stuff with her legs, massages or anything to make sure circulation was at least, if not fully optimal, at least somewhat feasible. So she waits until late last year. Again, another phone call out the blue. Got this plaque on my neck. Circulation issues. Shari knows what she wants me to get her. A recliner from Wayfair. See what I can do. Couldn't do anything for a couple of months. Saw her her last month. Asked me if I got the recliner. I was like, no. So fast forward to last week. She calls me. You know, hey, how you doing? Are you busy? Just on my way to the gym. Did Did you get the recliner yet? I was like, no, still haven't. Well, I saw something in a commercial. I was like, okay, here we go. She told me the name of it. Of course, she asked me if I can get it for her. Of course, it's more than the recliner. It's like, no, you had to go through insurance or something. So another thing about my mother is when you tell her no, or you can't, or you got to look into something else, or you you pretty much on your own. The nature of the conversation changes. Just like clockwork during this particular phone call. As soon as I said, go through your insurance, go through your doctor, do something, you got to figure something else out because I can't do it. I put the phone away from my ear as I knew what was coming. Every once in a while, I would put the phone back to my ear. She's still going off. 
put the phone in the air. By this point, I'm in the gym. And if you were in the lobby in my gym and saw me, you would see the phone in constant movement. Because this lady is trying to lay a guilt trip on me. Now, mind you, from the moment she got out of the hospital in 20... Ooh, shit, 2011, 2012. I had her move in with me. And for about a couple years, maybe a year, year and a half, I tried to do all I could do for her while working full time, going to college full time, and trying to have somewhat of a bit of a social life. But she made life in my house hell. And I had to put my foot down then. Even at her big age, when something's not going her way, or she knows that she's not going to get something that she wants, she lays on the guilt trip. You've had this condition for almost 12 years. And you have, in those 12 years, not done anything to keep it from acerbating to a point to where you have plaque in your neck. And you have poor circulation in your extremities. Where is your money? You know, at some point in our lives, you just, in order to protect yourself, you got to be able to say no. And love your people from the di- from a distance. This is Mr. Fox, the RFU's podcast. Oh, this, this has been a doozy. Um... Oh, thank you for joining me here at the RFU's podcast. Be sure to follow and subscribe wherever you get your podcast, wherever you see us, wherever you see the usual suspects in the RFU's podcast after dark. Don't forget that we have a YouTube channel at RFU's podcast, which is also the same handle as the Twitter at RFU's podcast. We also have And Instagram at Podcast underscore between the words. We appreciate every follow, every, every subscriber, every listen, every love, ounce of love that you guys have shown us. And we will catch you guys later. Hey, what the fuck are you doing? Didn't I say all eyes on me? Yes, ma'am. Bring your ass over here. You think you're special or something? No, ma'am. You think you're better than everybody up in here? No, ma'am. Oh, I get it. You think because you're a low-life pig, you're too good to watch me? No, ma'am. You know what? Every time I come to this motherfucking place, you are the same one starting problems. So you know what that means, don't you? Yes, ma'am. Yeah.
assume the fucking position. Yes, we